Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Well, hi there, guys. Welcome back. Another week, another Wednesday, another show. Thank you for downloading and for pressing play. My guest this week is Andrea Canny. Andrea, or I call her Andy, because she's my friend, uh, she's one of the great Central Floridian musical theater performers. Uh, just oh, such an amazing singer and actress and performer. She's had a career at theme parks that spans decades, and, and we will be discussing that, of course, in the show. And uh, it's interesting, when I asked her what she's been up to since the pandemic, uh, she's got a lot going on right now, and we didn't even really get to talk about this on the show, but she's been producing a full-length documentary film about our mutual friend, Billy Flanagan. You may have heard him mentioned in the I need to get him on the show category. I still do need to make that happen, but the film is called The Happiest Man on Earth, and it's about his legendary career with Disney and beyond. Uh, Andy says she's been editing her friend's novels, and she's also going to be co-hosting a new podcast with a friend and colleague of ours, Ray Fournier, and it's called The Rise, examining the arts and culture community here in Central Florida. So Andy and I are also joined by her dog, Gus Gus, and you do hear him in the background sometimes, and he's just there to interject his own little commentary and he is just so adorable i will post a picture of him you you gotta see this this little puppy face <laughs> this week andrea and i watched season six episode three love at first bite and the original air date was october 17th of 1984 i think we're ready to jump on in let's face the facts with andrea canny Andrea Canny, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so very excited to be here. You are reaching me via Zoom from your adorable place somewhere in the center of Winter Garden, Florida. Yes. How appropriate, as the Winter Garden Theater is a staple of Broadway, and you have got the Broadway talent and Broadway voice of a Broadway diva, my friend. <laughs> Could you say Broadway one more time? I cannot. <laughs> we are the Winter Garden Theater, but we do not have the cats. <laughs> <laughs> and or Mamma Mia is what went in after cats, right? Yes, correct. Yes. Which I, I love Mamma Mia. And the cats, not so much. I'm, I'm with you. But that film version. That, wow. <laughs> that film version is not even as... Gus, but your dog did not like the movie Cats either for obvious reasons. <laughs> yes, not a fan. Yes. Andy is now taking her cute little dog, Gus Gus, and relocating him. She says she's putting him under a blanket so he will fall asleep, but it's just out of frame. So it also could be possibly, I think she's just putting him in a satchel or a bag. Hold the lever! <laughs> <laughs> Well, 
Thank you so much for being on the show. I am so happy you agreed to be here. It's lovely to see your face and to get to just chit chat with you, which we don't get to do very often. I know. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Mm -hmm. So did you watch the show? I did. I did. Uh-huh. Did you have a lot of thoughts and responses and feelings that you want to express? I did have some feelings. I, I took some notes. Okay. That's... I can't remember because I watched the show when they were like the young schoolgirls. Did it turn into like the episode I watched? Was that like, hey, we're older now and we're young adults or something? Yeah. It changed formats twice. It went from being the Eastland School for Girls, which was seasons one to four, and now seasons five and this one, season six. Y you don't get it in this show, but they are all part of a gourmet food store that Mrs. Garrett runs in downtown Peekskill now. <laughs> you wouldn't know it based on you don't see anybody doing anything that relates to running the business or preparing to run the business in this episode. How on earth did this show last this long? How is that possible? You, we have asked that question so many times, because it's certainly not the quality of the writing. That's for damn sure. No, but I tell you what, I, I, I think I'm at least 10 years older than you, correct? No, I'm 52, honey. Oh, you are? You're like you my... Well, oh, <laughs> start. I don't look a day over 46. <laughs> But I perceive you're like my sister's age. You're a couple years older than I am. Yeah, I'm I'm three years older than that. I I because I just don't remember watching it past the girls home. And I don't know if that was just because I it wasn't a favorite of mine. I always mm -hmm. there are some shows that get within college years where my parents didn't have cable. We only had one television and I was in school and working. So like I didn't see Twin Peaks until uh, you know, decades later when I was in Japan. So, mm -hmm. well, it that it doesn't surprise me really because I started to lose interest because the show ran. Look at it this way: the show ran from seventy nine to eighty eight. So, by I I was in college by eighty six. Mm -hmm. So back that up three years for you. Right now, the episode we're watching was in the fall of eighty four. That would have been about the time you would have been starting whatever did you did you do college right after mm -hmm. high school yeah. yeah we will be talking about that so <laughs> i imagine similarly for me is that uh is that you know that's a big life change when you go from high school to being out on your own at college and certainly watching a show about high school girls in a private school that would i don't see how it would have appealed to us yeah yeah and like so there's one TV at home, so like I had no choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or study. And yeah, the only speculation we've had as to how the show lasted as long as it did is that uh, it had real people as its lead-in when it was on Wednesday nights, including uh, right now. Uh, this season that we just started, because this is only episode three of season six, uh, at this point, Highway to Heaven has just started. It's its first okay. season, and of course, big hit because there was yep. such a dearth of religious programming on network TV. Any people who were into that, that was the show they all gravitated towards. And then it's either next year or the year after that it moves to Saturday nights. And that's when we have Golden Girls, Give Me a Break, 227, that whole powerful lineup that kind of it just clumped into and just kept on going. 
Well, I got two of those. The best thing's like, give me a bike, got you, did you, baby? And then with 227, Mary. I mean, look, those are like colloquialisms that we will say forever. <laughs> Anytime anybody says, give me a break, I'm like, give me a break, got you, did you, baby? <laughs> Logan Donahue and I both did our Nell Carter impressions on uh, one of the <laughs> in the show a, a few months ago, and I was just re-listening to it recently, and it is it's so funny. But uh, oh, yeah, right. Jack Hay. I mean, yeah, you ever hear someone named Mary? You just want to go Mary. That's that's all you have to do. It's like one word and a sound. <laughs> So I love that you are familiar with the show and that you know, at least you know who Blair, Joe, Tootie, and Natalie are. But let's get to the business of what we have to do here is we are going to be discussing season six, episode three, Love at First Bite. B-Y-T-E. B-Y-T-E. Oh, I see what they did there. Clever, very clever. Yeah, uh -huh. the original air date was October 17th of 1984. It was written by Bob Meyer and Bob Young. The Bobs have written several episodes so far, and they are also producers on the show. So they're they're in the writer's room and partially driving the content of all the shows. And it was directed by Asad Kelada, our steadfast, tried-and-true director who's done pretty much every episode for the last two seasons. Awesome. Yeah. Now, the title does come from not just the wordplay on Love at First Sight, but there was a 1979 comedy uh, called Love at First Bite, B-I-T-E, that was a Dracula comedy starring George Hamilton and Susan St. James and Richard Benjamin. Do you remember that movie? I vaguely recall, only because of the George Hamilton part. Mm -hmm. I It is on... Um, what did I find? I, I did look to see if it was anywhere streaming. I was like, oh my God, is this on Prime? I would love to just throw that on sometime while I'm cleaning the house or something, just because <laughs> I have not seen it probably since it broadcast on TV in the early 80s, like probably since now, 1984, oh. <laughs> this episode. But uh, I remember it being very funny and and well-received and, and popular at the time. Yeah. And it was one of those movies, because it was a lighter comedy, it did transition well to television. They would run it a lot. Yeah. At least in Boston, they did. Yeah. So um, last bit of information is that this is episode three, but it is the sixth episode that they taped for the season, because as I had mentioned last week, Nancy McKeon was in contract talks. So they had to tape the first two episodes without her. And then when they did work it out and she rejoined the cast, they went back and did the season premiere and they just took those two episodes without her, peppered them throughout the season. Nobody noticed the difference. Hmm. But it is the sixth, it's not the third that they taped if you're going chronologically. So before we start the microscopic dissection that I like to do, Andy, I like to put my guests on the spot and ask you if you would provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode, similar to what you might read in TV Guide. I would say, desperate to get a good grade in school, Natalie pours out the two housemates in 
a surprisingly slutty episode mm. of everyone's favorite, The Facts of Life. While yeah. Mrs. Garrett desperately seeks a new bridge partner. Okay, there you go. That was wonderful. It hurt my brain a little bit. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> Are we ready for the breakdown? Yes. Let's do this. Break it down. This is another episode where at no point do we ever set foot into Edna's Edibles, the store for which the show is structured now. It's really focusing on the home life and the social lives of the girls and Mrs. Garrett. And yeah, the constant question of who is minding the store and or who is making the baked goods and the quiches that we know need to be sold in the store fresh every day. This episode raises those questions very strongly. And I have a feeling a lot of season six is going to be like this. I look forward to continuing to discover <laughs> if and when they ever decide to get around to having a, a storyline that pertains to the shop. It's very weird. Yes. This episode, therefore, starts in the living room. And uh, we have right at the very beginning, I believe the first line of the episode is Tootie saying to Natalie, this is never going to work. <laughs> so we are jumping right into the plot, the ploy, the deception that is being planned. And uh, Natalie is asking Tootie to be her accomplice and saying, well, just write down what they say. Here's your camera, snap a picture of them. And, and it's just, it's, so beyond ridiculous <laughs> when Mrs. Garrett finally walks in the room and says, okay, something is afoot. What are you up to? And we learned that Natalie, in order to do a term paper for her psychology class, she has decided to approach the subject of removing the human element from romance. And she is going to sign up both Blair and Joe for a computer dating service without telling them. <laughs> now, this was certainly very timely. This was this was when that was all very new. Remember when this this there seemed to be a computer dating episode of every sitcom in yeah. this this, you know, early mid 80s type of thing. I remember they did it on Three's Company. Um uh it would, uh, of course, now I can't think of any of them, but it was a million of them, and I named one. <laughs> it's like that actor. You know, that actor, he's been in everything. Yeah, that oh, guy. What movie? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's ugh, It's terrible. My brain does that so much nowadays. Um, so, uh, yeah, we get, we get kind of lame jokes like Natalie saying, in 1984, how do we spell romance? IBM. <laughs> so then Blair and Joe come downstairs in a very contrived, we're going through information for a big test we've got coming up. So, you know, who were the people who signed the Franco-Prussian Alliance of 1814? And, uh, you know, this ridiculous, you know, anyway. Like any of us would have known with if that answer was correct. I mean, please. Yeah. And is that really the stuff you need to memorize by rote for college? Now that we're in college, girls, but and, and I made up that question, but it was something equally as inane. And yeah. they sit at the dining room table. They try to study. But Natalie is asking them these ridiculous non sequitur questions to try and acquire the information needed to fill out 
the application form for the dating service. Joe and Blair are annoyed, but not to the point that in logical thought land that they would say, what are you doing? What if, if either you have had a stroke or you're up to something? What the fuck? <laughs> but typical sitcom, they're just like, oh, Natalie, what a card. She's just being annoying like she is. And anyhow, the scene pretty much ends abruptly where Natalie is acquiring the information and Tootie does snap a picture of the girls. Tootie is the sort of shutterbug occasionally if they do need a photographer that is what they use tootie for that is that is canon that is uh, a checkbox in the good column for the show bible i do love though the setup with the camera because i was like i was like this sounds like me when i was a kid and i didn't want to eat the rest of my hot dog and the rationale that a small child went through of where to dump this hot dog so i wouldn't get in trouble uh-huh right? But they were like, oh, well, so it looks like there's only a few more pictures le you know, left on this roll, so we might as well use them up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, so this was a conversation you and Natalie had before, I'm guessing? Uh, I, it is just such a preposterous charade to try and to, to have conceived and then to actually try to execute. And um, Matthew Arder is on the show frequently, and one of his pet peeves that he gets into the show about is uh, sitcom lying. Oh. How terribly people lie in a sitcom. Oh, uh, well, this is the last picture on the camera. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> and it's like, well, clearly you're telling the truth and being honest by the tone of your voice. <laughs> And yeah, he's not wrong. We get a lot of bad sitcom lying on the facts of life. So the next scene we move into, oh, was there anything else for you in that scene? Um, I thought it was hilarious that when they, Mrs. Garrett was trying to describe chemistry and Tootie decided to narrow it down to the hots. Yeah. <laughs> and I, at first I laughed and then I was like, well, what? Wait, she's right. That's what we would have said at that time. Like, oh, I got the hots for so-and-so. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was good old people, young people writing of how do you translate a, a nearly 60-year-old woman's uh, vernacular into something yeah. the kids can relate to. And then another thing that they did was um, when they were talking, somehow they did this whole bit about sex ed or whatever. And then all of a sudden there was like this, you know, Blair turned into the dirty little whore of like, you know, no, that's terrible unless there's slides. I, I was like, well, yeah, what wait, was- Wait, you want sex ed, but you want it to, you only yeah. want it if there's pictures? Yeah. Oh, horror, Blair. No, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, one of the dirty weird little. questions that Natalie is asking is, do you believe we should teach sex education in our schools? Yes. That's how that comes up. And Blair's response is only if there is like, it's like, what? what? Yeah. And, and Blair is like the most virginal virgin of all of them for all the boys she dates. Lisa Welchel is, is very Christian and was very committed to Blair never, ever being that kind of girl. It was like she dated a lot. She did not fuck around. That was very, very clear. That's what she liked you to think. Yeah. 
Or it was her way of saying slides is the only action I can get is looking at slides <laughs> in a health class of a, a cross section of a penis. Because <laughs> like, honestly, is there anything less sexy than the sex ed schematic drawings of genitalia? Is there anything no. more? Uh... Well, let's move on to the next scene then. This is the office of the business that Natalie is using, and it's called Data Date. I like I that name. I had to write a, a rewind back because I was like, what did he say? Because <laughs> it kind of glitched, you know, and, and I was like, I've got to get the name up. And then I was like, oh, I see what they're doing there. Yeah, that might be a joke that looks better on the page than then goes in the ear. Sometimes you do have to adjust your writing, even if something is the most clever thing in the world. If you can't hear the humor, you got to change it. So I agree with you. I think it it looks better printed. They could have had a sign. Why didn't they have a sign on the door? Right. That was weird. And this was the moment when I, I questioned to myself, are they in college? Because I was getting a little creeped out. My memory was always of them being high schoolers. And I'm like, I'm a little creeped out by the way this man's talking to him. Uh, you are correct, and you are not wrong for <laughs> feeling that way, because I do have it later in my notes. Oh, actually, I don't have it uh, very late. Uh, as soon as they get there, they're greeted by the nice man, and, and he's all, you know, are you here looking for love? And I have down, they are both still in high school. Blair and Joe are in college, but Natalie is 17, and she is a junior. Tootie is 16 because she's a, I'm sorry, Natalie is a, Natalie's a senior. Natalie is 17 and a senior in high school. Tootie is a junior, 16 years old. So they, the first thing that should be is like, you are children. You should not be here. I don't care if you're, <laughs> the best thing I could imagine for the writing is they could say, they did do a thing of we're here for our friends. And he's like, oh, <laughs> I see. Yeah. And it's like, it could have been, no, really, we're just dropping off. Our friends uh, got the paperwork and here are their photos, you see, and just dropping it off. And uh, cool, they hope to hear back from you, okay? But when you call that number, ask for Natalie. I will be the one fielding the calls. That could have been slightly smoothed over, but it's still, like you say, the issue of this guy is, he's certainly nice. There's not really a sleaze factor about him, but they are teenagers they are not of legal age and it was less for me it was less about the way he was acting more about just that they were in that situation but then all of a sudden natalie turns into the dirty little whore about <laughs> about rex winchester I, she's like oh oh i'm all about him i'm like in your dreams nat he's not gonna go for you come on i was like oh my gosh it was really weird to me Mm -hmm. And Natalie is typically the boy crazy one. That is actually on brand for her. Okay. But before we get to that, let's talk about the man who works there. Uh, he comes into, uh, doesn't he say, welcome to our temple of love? Or do they call it a temple of love or something? Well, I don't, uh, I don't yeah. remember that. Anyway, this friendly man approaches. His name, the character's name is Elliot Sincere. <laughs> It's like the word sincere, but with two R's in it. So, what a weird, and he never says his name. I think it might be on a nameplate, but it's never said, does he pronounce it sincere? But it's like, it's like you took the word air, like to make a mistake and yeah. put it in the word sincere. Yes. It's 
weird Maybe character. He's Italian and it's sincere. Sincere. Yeah. Sincere. Yeah. Again, I think looks better on the page than sounds to the ear. But this actor is Terence McGovern is his name, sometimes billed as Terry McGovern. He is a character actor. He is still working. He has 138 credits on IMDb starting in 1971. Uh, he has a ton of one-off sitcom appearances through the 70s, through the 80s, and more recently, he's done a lot, lot of voiceover animation and video game uh, voiceover work. So he's still there. He's still out there. And uh, the hair was a little problematic for me. Mm-hmm. For this office, which, by the way, the office has a mauve carpet uh, gray gray wallpaper with like a vertical uh, line texture to it. It has pink molding all around the seal, like below the ceiling line. Uh-huh. It's it's a very eighties looking modern office for nineteen eighty four. And then he walks in and he looks like he just stepped out of nineteen seventy seven. <laughs> With the longer hair in the back, the hair covering half of his ear, the comb over. Um, do you remember Don Kirshner? Oh, I know that name. What did he do? He was in the 70s. He was like a music promoter. He had a TV show called Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Schaefer used to do an impression of him on Saturday Night Live. He does it in Guild Alive, the movie of the Gilda Radner Broadway oh, yeah. show. But Paul Schaefer had that same hair where it was long in the back, long in the sides, but barely anything to comb over on the top. It was it's like it, a cartoon. Yeah, it's it's nothing in the front party in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe the term we would use to describe him is he's very much a character actor. And that is in theatrical circles, the nice way of saying he's not a handsome man. <laughs> you would never cast him as the romantic lead. He is the guy who works in the office and um and he's very a friendly. Look, a unique look. It's a, it's a unique look exactly. And and you understand why he works a lot cuz that's the type of look that sells when you need that one-off character to make a visual impression as well as he's a good actor. I think he does great with what he's given. That's and fair to have Oh yeah, to be a character actor, hells yeah! To oh be god, good, yeah. And one to be a good character actor, but then you can work all the time and have a good living, but you can also walk down the street with nobody bothering you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? people don't know his name. Yeah, and and his career started in 1971. That means next year he will be in show business for 50 years. And look at his credits. You know that that's how he was making a living. He's not also waiting tables or answering phones somewhere. It's he's a working character actor. So uh, bravo to him. Happy to see him here on this show. Uh, And the other actor we want to discuss is very brief. There's a character named Don. And I had to go back and I'm like, who is Don? Was there, there, I don't remember this in the show. It's when the girls sit down at Mr. Sincere's desk and this African-American guy instantly just swoops in on Tootie. He's like, hey, how are you? <laughs> and uh, at which point, <laughs> a very funny line by Mr. Sincere, I'm gonna call him Mr. Sincere here. Uh, a very funny by Mr. Sincere is where he says, hey, hey, this isn't self-serve. It's not one of your pickup bars. Now get out of here. 
like <laughs> like no the computer has to match you you don't meet people face to face in this room <laughs> i love it very funny moment and that's literally all he does that actor was charles champion uh he has uh quite a few credits in the 80s and 90s uh but uh at 1995 it kind of seems to stop abruptly and then there's this one credit floating out there from 2008 so uh one wonders what happened to him charles champion where maybe, are you maybe he developed a career in something else maybe some people get out every of the biz day. every day yes um so Andrea, I know you appreciated the musical theater reference that is about to happen in this interaction where he says, we are all about people. Oh and what God. does he say? Do you people remember? People are the luckiest people in the world. Yes. And that <laughs> is for the uh, non-homosexuals listening in my, uh, my listening audience, for both of you. Uh, that is a reference to a song called People from the Broadway musical Funny Girl, uh, 1964 Winter Garden Theater there uh -huh. full circle moment Oprah yes and uh and it was uh the basically the thing that made Barbra Streisand a mega star that's how she took Broadway by storm and then the film version and uh the rest is history really for Barbara's career she's the greatest star <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the movie once or twice <laughs> oh dear <laughs> yes so um not much else happens in this scene uh they're looking it over for he's looking over the paperwork double checking and then in comes this super hot muscular guy blonde curly hair and natalie does her natalie becomes a tex avery cartoon as i say where she goes <laughs> And her and really her question she asks is what we're all asking. She turns to Mr. Sincere and says, that guy needs a date. Like he needs to come here to meet a woman. And uh, the, the guy, and he's like, oh yes, he's in the computer or he will be soon. And then he hands over the paperwork and uh, puts it down on his desk. And then Mr. Sincere says, well, let me go turn this in or something. So he leaves and leaves uh hot blonde guy's paperwork on the table so natalie and tootie snoop it's like okay it's ethics chair to go over to the side of the desk where it is like she really invests in snooping yeah and the fact is that we're already in not even in an ethical gray zone at this point with what she's doing with blair and joe so why the fuck not of course she would do that she's already a horrible person in this episode <laughs> by by my estimation anyway so um but the last thing she does say or one of the last lines is she just looks up and as she's reading she goes i think i'm in love so then the next scene we are back at the uh the house behind the shop where they live and apparently don't work um <laughs> we establish that mrs garrett and tootie are playing cards tootie is bored because it is bridge and nobody under the age of 80 should be playing bridge. <laughs> do you play bridge? Have you ever played bridge, Andy? No, but I do know who Omar Sharif is and he was in Circle of Comedy. He was in, he was the love interest in Funny Girl. 
Absolutely. And Omar Sharif, in addition to being uh, a very well-known Hollywood actor, also did have a uh, weekly, if not <laughs> daily, newspaper column on how to play bridge. Like that was a big yeah. thing in uh, in his later years in his career. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I did think of that too. I was like, oh my God, we had a funny girl reference there. And now Omar Sharif, I wondered if we were going to get a third for the comedy rule of threes. I know. We, we could have gotten a hello gorgeous. They could have figured out a way to do that. Hello. They could have. Mrs. G could have totally done that. It would have been more of a Natalie thing to say, but. Yeah. Yes, but anyhow, uh, so this is a this is a big problem because Mrs. Garrett mentions that her friend Martha has moved out of town, and ever since she's been kind of harassing Tootie to be her new bridge partner. <laughs> Last week, Mrs. Garrett was very involved in a diet club, meaning she was going to Weight Watchers. They just weren't calling it Weight Watchers, but. Uh, so now suddenly she has time to play. It's like, your shop has only been open a year. Why are you not still heavily in the mode of preparing and making sure your business is up to 150% functionality? But uh, she's got time to go to go to Weight Watchers. She's got time to sit around and play cards. We've never heard of this friend Martha before. Only on a couple of occasions has there ever been mention of Mrs. Garrett having a friend outside of the cast of the show, like having an adult friend that lives in town that is, it's like, where would you have the time? So, so that's kind of the sort of a B story a little bit as far as that's what we're doing with Mrs. Garrett in this episode is uh, her and Tootie. And then we have the Natalie deception continues when you think there is no bottom to that well of awfulness that Natalie is inflicting on Joe and Blair, we find out that she has told them that they are going to a Bruce Springsteen concert on her dime. So she's like, go upstairs and get dressed and get ready because you're going to a Bruce Springsteen concert. And Joe even says, I didn't even know he was here in, in concert. Yeah. I was like, Joe's going to, my first thought was, Joe's going to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> like she's going to punch you in your big Natalie face. She's yeah. tough. I always wanted to be Joe. I loved her. Yes. Every, so many people <laughs> really admire Joe. And uh, there is a scene, uh, there is a line later where Mrs. Garrett is trying to distract the boys. This is after the commercial. What, what, it says, I have nothing else to do with them. They're just staring at my microwave. And Joe says, why don't we put Natalie in it and watch her explode? And I'm like, yes. No jury in the world would convict you, girl. I think you should have done it. That's just me. But before we get to that, we have um, finally the moment where the bell, the doorbell rings. At which point, Natalie says, so guess what, guys? You're not going to the concert. I signed you up for a computer dating service. And uh, earlier in the scene, Mrs. Garrett says that she doesn't like it, but Mrs. Garrett didn't think it was worth having a real come to Jesus with Natalie about the ethical problems with this and or if you don't tell them, I fucking will. Yeah. Which is what should have happened before we got to any of this plot wise. Yeah. I yep. just, there's no way Mrs. Garrett would have held her tongue <laughs> unless she was away at her bridge club the whole time and didn't know. <laughs> well, especially 
especially knowing that those two were in high school, like that she didn't consider this a great opportunity for a teaching moment. Yeah, true. And that's what she, that's literally the purpose she serves. Yeah. And we do get it later in the tiniest, tiniest little dose. But <sighs> anyway, then in a very atypical commercial moment, uh, it's like, well, this is happening, girls. And they're like, you did what? And so she's like, well, that's them. They're at the door. And she says something like, get ready to meet your dream men. And Natalie opens the door and it freezes freeze frame and then it fades to black no music yes. no applause it's a very uh, abrupt sort of a cliffhanger commercial they've never done that before that was weird to me because it when i was watching it it was i couldn't tell if it was my computer or if it was just because of the site that it was up on that it would do a lot of the catching you know yeah uh, um flow and so i was like wait was that and i rewound i was like no that was a commercial break yeah. And when we come back from commercial, it starts literally at the same point. It it fades into uh, the freeze frame. It does not match. It's clearly a different take, just saying. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is her with the door almost open and her. So it it's just they needed to freeze that moment in time because there really was no moment to stop and have a, a moment for the audience to applaud. And I'm fine with that. I don't mind. Yeah. Because very often it's like, you did what? Natalie, you're in big trouble. <sighs> Applause. <laughs> Shaking of head, rolling of eyes, crossing of arms. <sighs> this is going to be a big deal. And so I'm very glad, very glad they did this. So we are at our commercial break. And Andrea Canny, I love to interview my guests during the commercial break and talk a bit about you, your life, and your career as a performer. <laughs> as a performer. So, if we may turn back the clock, and I may ask you, where were you born? Where are you originally from? I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. Ohio. And uh, when did you start uh, start getting bitten by the bug that you wanted to be a performer? Um, I did not know I could even sing until I was 16. <gasps> um, shut up. Yeah, shut down. I I mean, grew, growing up, you know, like my mom and dad always had albums, um, like my sister and I, actually the brown album is right over there. Um, mm -hmm. Used to clean the house to Jesus Christ Superstar every, every Saturday. We were just, you know, like, we yeah. thought we were cool because we were like, who in the hell do you think you are? We thought we were cool. <laughs> say hell because it was a musical ah. um but yes yeah, so, i mean i always loved music i love musicals we would watch you know uh gene kelly was my boyfriend i just loved him so i grew up enjoying all that stuff but i didn't take voice lessons i didn't do dance classes i was not a tomboy in the respect of i did i wasn't sporty but I was more of the go outside and make stew out of mud and rocks and onion grass, you know, um, <laughs> onion grass made it smell very tasty. And of course, okay. the rocks were the potatoes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was kind of an accident. My, um, my best friend at the time, Larissa Marcelli, she uh maybe she was neighbors with uh, mr sincere <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> um 
she and I were moving from junior high to high school and we did, we realized we didn't have any classes together. So I switched to study hall to be in choir with her and sophomore choir was just girls. And the first, uh, I was sitting in the second altos with her and cause her voice was a lot lower than mine, but I was like, I just wanted to be by my friend. And so the first like two, three weeks, Mr. Hanning, may he rest in peace. He taught us vocal technique. And then he took us in each individually to voice us to see which voice part we were going to do, right? Oh. So when I, it was my turn to go in and he takes me through the scales and then he goes, okay, so you're going to be in the first Sopranos and literally not trying to be an asshole. I said, isn't that the screechy high part? <laughs> and he said, yes, smart Alec, it is the screechy high part and that's where you're going to be. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I start walking out and he goes, you know, you got some real talent there. And again, not trying to be a jerk. I was like, I just didn't get it. I was like, in what? And he goes, singing. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I just, I, again, it didn't really compute. I was just kind of like, all right. And he just, you know, gave me solos. He taught me. He just really supported me a lot. And, mm -hmm. um, and then they had me singing for a an assembly, and I had uh, Mr. Williams, Rich Williams, also rest in peace. He uh, was a college student. He was a teacher from um, from CCM, from Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, and he played saxophone for me for that. And after that, he asked me if my friend Steve and I wanted to learn pop and jazz music after school, and we we're like, yeah, awesome. So I had my magical moment when I was singing with Rich. I was singing um, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face by Roberta Flack. He was playing and as any self-indulgent young singer, I was closing my eyes to listen to myself sing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all of a sudden with my eyes closed, I was transported to somewhere else. Like it literally, the best description was like, it was that dark, black blue of the cosmos mm -hmm. in pricks of stars and in that place i had the general awareness that i was like oh this is what i'm here for this is what i'm gonna do because I, I was a junior i had no idea what i was gonna do if i went to i was expected to go to college but i was like i don't, I don't know i don't know i'm not smart enough to this or that or whatever so it just became that awareness of like oh my gosh, this is what I was put here for. And I finished the song and I looked down at Rich, anxious to share that thought and feeling with him. And he had this one tear going down his cheek. Uh huh. And I was like, are you okay? What's wrong? Again, apparently I'm a little dim. And <laughs> <laughs> I am the girl who doesn't get anything. And, uh, and he goes, where did you go? And so I told him the story he goes, I just want you to know, I stopped playing like at about the second stave to give you a note and you just kept singing. So he just went back to playing and we finished the song, but I, I have no recollection of him stopping playing at all. Wow. Um, yeah. So it just kind of magically came into my life. It, I didn't expect it. And that's, that's when I was like, oh yeah, this is it. And and I had really amazing support. Cincinnati's a great place to be raised in the arts. It's just not a great place to, once you turn professional, to actually still do it.
mm-hmm. because they they refuse to hire locals. They only hire out of New York, which I think sucks and is stupid. Oh. Whatever. Um, so but, where did you actually study? Where did you go on to college and study formally? I, because of Rich Williams, was lucky enough to, um, that teacher who I had the moment with, um, he hooked me up with Carl Resnick, who is still, uh, I will always consider him my voice teacher. He's the best. Um, so I studied with him for about two and a half years, and then I got into CCM, not in the major I wanted. I wanted musical theater, but I didn't get into that. I got into vocal performance and music ed. And... So at that point, I ran up the stairs to my lesson at two o'clock on a Saturday. I ran up to excited to tell him. And he was like, that's so great. I'm so proud of you. And you're not going to be able to study with me anymore. <gasps> what? And he said, yeah, sadly, he used to teach at, since, at CCM. And when he left to create his own musical uh, academy, um, some students were using their stipend money without his knowledge to study with him as well. Oh. And so it just got, got to be some bad blood and out of respect, he was like, okay, from now on, nobody from CCM will be able to study with me. So I studied with the person I had for a year and she, you know, she was a horrible teacher. Sorry, Peggy Castle, you sucked. Oh no. <laughs> horrible teacher taught me absolutely nothing. Um, so I stagnated for a year and then I was like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care about the reputation of this school. I didn't want to be a music educator. Um, and I didn't have what it took to be an excellent music educator. So I was like, why am I going to even go with this backup degree if I'm not going to really excel at it? So I quit CCM and just went into elementary education and art education and went back to studying with Carl and I will never regret it. Oh, never regret it. And, Great. and I ended up not getting a degree because it, after about four years of college, I was like, I, I just want to perform full-time. So I went full-time at Kings Island. And then that trajectory was Kings Island, then cruise ship. Um, and I did 42nd Street in Europe for a year. And then after that, I called Dan Labuno and Mark Eckhoff because they were down here at Disney. I said, get me an audition so I can write the trip off. And they're like, oh, this new show, Beating the Beast, is going to is auditioning so i was like okay cool so i came down on friday auditioned on saturday got offered the job on sunday it must wow. have been desperate and rehearsal started while i was still on vacation oh so, my god <laughs> <laughs> so i said to judy the director g lawrence she goes okay we'd like to offer you you know a role as one of the one of the full-time bells at, at this new show but we know you're from out of town so what would it take to get you here I said, great, I would like to accept and um, I'll start, I'll be able to start rehearsals with you on the 30th of October, fly back to Cincinnati on the 6th, get divorced on the 7th, pack on the 8th, and I can be back in rehearsal on the 9th. Does that work for you? <laughs> wow. <sighs> okay. <laughs> and no. she just kind of looked at me bug-eyed and I was like, because mama's not missing that appointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the divorce wasn't precipitated by the job offer at Disney. That was already in progress. That was in motion and I was not missing that appointment. Wow. So, and then, I, you know, I expected to be here six months. Um, oh, so many people I've talked to are like, I figured, ah, I'll, I'll hang out, you know, Rob Lott and uh, Paul Padilla. They're like, oh, I'll do this for a year or two and then move on to other stuff. And then 
Uh, how many years were you with with Disney? Um, tw I think about 26 for the most part of 26 years, but I did Tokyo three times. Um, yeah. But I also moved to New York a couple times and I lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and uh, did shows there. Um, well, Andrea, you don't need me to tell you you are an amazing singer. I am telling the uh, the world and my fives and tens of listeners that <laughs> when you say Central Florida in the arts community, who are the best singers? Like the people who can just stand on a stage and just use their vocal instrument without any uh, smoke and mirrors, who just have the chops and the talent. And you are one of those people that is always on that very short list. And I've always admired your talent. And I wish I could sing half as well as you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being on the show. And we've got to move on now. All right, and, commercial is over. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it before or after the commercial. We have got to talk about the costuming in this episode. Did you have anything you noticed or anything that you responded to in the, the costuming? To, uh, Nat, I don't know why do I keep calling her to anyone? It was Natalie. Mm -hmm. Nat, it's like, wasn't she wearing shorts or something? Yeah, Natalie is wearing a an outfit that is completely incongruous with what most everyone else is wearing. Like they're wearing ja like coats, like but I'm yeah. like, I could have sworn she was wearing like shorts. I'm like, isn't it cold now? Right, exactly. It implies that there's cold, and she does have, and she doesn't even have a coat. She has what's like a long sweater yeah. that she puts on over it. So she is just uber casual when the guys for this quote unquote date are all dressed up. Um, but I'm, I kind of want to go through everybody before we get to that because we have, it's like there is not one of the four girls and Mrs. Garrett that doesn't have something. WTF about what they are wearing. <laughs> so my thing is Mrs. Garrett is dressed up in a bright pink, almost a hot pink blouse. We have seen her in bright colors, bright pinks, bright blues, and uh, they they look great on her. That's a, those are that's a good color palette for Charlotte Ray. But in this case, it's pink, but it's like a a, a satin shiny fabric. So it looks very formal and it has tons of ruffles around the collar and around the sleeves. So it's like this super shiny, hot pink, formal looking blouse. And then when she gets up, she's wearing a fairly subdued teal color skirt and a red belt <laughs> with a hot pink blouse. Her belt is fire engine red. That is Mrs. Garrett. Moving on. Natalie, when we start the scene, is wearing, um, I guess you'd call it like a jumper, but it's a skirt. She has on a, a fairly bright uh, orangey, peachy orange t-shirt. And over that, she has got a gray, it looks like a jersey, heather gray, like sweat, you know, t-shirt material. It's like a thin, uh, uh, tank top sort of a design. So it's just light straps, but there's plenty uh, to show her short sleeve t-shirt and the collar. And it's gray and it's a skirt at the bottom 
that comes just at her knee or just above her knee. And it, it looks like what you might throw on over your bathing suit when you're at the beach. <laughs> like if she had flip-flops on with that, you wouldn't have questioned it, would you? I, I didn't pay too much attention to the clothes. Okay. I mean, not this detail. <laughs> you are not a homosexual man, clearly. Though, what though, do you think I am? And then I was, I was not that say, one. Though many people might accuse you of being one. You're you're one of those broads that's kind of like you, you have an honorary pink card. I, know. I do. I do. I, yeah. I have a toaster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so Natalie is super casual, and I want to reiterate bright orangey peachy short sleeve t-shirt and we'll put that in the category with mrs garrett's hot pink blouse then joe and blair come down the stairs joe is wearing black jeans a henley that i think is blue with no collar and a gray like a dark charcoal gray jacket over it with the sleeves rolled up generic tomboy uh lesbian stand-up comic garb of the 80s that's kind of what she's wearing here. Joan Jet Pat Benatar. Yeah, exactly. And then Blair comes down. Blair is wearing a a, a bright what, blousy what? dress, right? Like blousy sleeve dress? Uh, not quite. Blair is wearing her sort of standard outfit, which is an A-line skirt and a sort of dressier blouse. The blouse is burgundy. The skirt is red. Who wears <laughs> red and burgundy together? <laughs> I'm sorry. What is this? Is Atrocious this, people do. Atrocious. Is this a fucking Christmas episode? No. <laughs> this is October. It's not even Halloween. Oh, my gosh. And they tape this in the summer, for crying out loud. So we have Blair's outfit, also weird. And then Tootie is probably the one with the least offensive uh, color palette. But Tootie is in a navy blue Henley shirt and I think gray sweatpants. But in the typical 80s it's oversized and Tootie being a, a young girl of 16 who is unfortunately really really busty when you put blousey clothes on a busty woman it makes her look bigger than she is like heavier mm -hmm. so Tootie is not wearing anything that's doing her body any favors uh Tootie is gorgeous though she's okay. really this season, she's grown into her looks. This hairdo is much uh, more mature. Uh, her braces are going to be coming off in a few episodes. But uh, I've noticed the last couple of, I'm like, Kim Fields really is, she's now looking like a beautiful young woman, not like an old child. So the last thing about this fashion, this hideous costuming that we're looking at is, this has happened before where Blair is clearly dressed for warmer weather with a long sleeve blouse. Joe has a jacket on and the guys come in in jackets and ties. And yet you have Mrs. Garrett in this tropical pink summer color, Natalie looking like she just came from the beach. They have done this before where they have mixed the summer colors and the fall colors, <laughs> the, the, the warm weather and the cold weather. And it's it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the boys come in. Blair and Joe are not happy about it, as they shouldn't be. Uh, I will quickly introduce you to, um, they have Chip. Chip is the shorter guy. He has a box of candy. He looks young, but he's apparently of the appropriate age. He reads young. The actor is Leaf Green, L-E-I-F. And uh, like Leaf Garrett, but Leaf oh. Green. Uh, he doesn't have that many acting credits, but you might remember him as being Davy Jaworski in Grease 2. <laughs> I love that movie. I do too. The T Birds, he's the youngest looking one that looks like the kid mascot, kind of oh the youngest looking of the batch. That's him. He was in Grease 2, two years oh. prior. And then holding uh, a bunch of flowers is Doug. The actor is Joseph Brutzman, sometimes known as Joe Brutzman. This is only his second acting credit. Uh, he would go on to do a seven-episode run in Scarecrow and Mrs. King. But by the end of the 80s, his acting credits go away because in the 90s and 2000s, he moves into writing and producing for reality shows and docuseries. Wow. Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Loved it. Oh, yeah? Loved, I loved never... That got into it i never i somehow that's a show i somehow missed i was fully invested in that sexual tension and then again as formulas are they're always right as soon as they kissed oh up. it didn't oh they had a will they or won't they and then they did and it's yeah. oh that's too bad <sighs> too bad um so uh we have doug paired up with joe and chip is paired up with blair uh, Natalie tries to make light of the situation and start conversations. Blair suggests Mrs. Garrett give them the tour of the kitchen so they can hopefully dismember Natalie. But uh, this point is where they don't know about the dating service. They just know that there's no rock concert and you're going on dates. Now, Tootie, with, with Natalie's blessing, tells them all the whole thing of what the whole ploy is and what Natalie has done. Um, one of my favorite moments of the show. Joe says, how could you fill out a computer dating thing for me? How do you know what I like? And she grabs the bunch of flowers and says, I hate flowers. And Blair says, yeah, and I hate milk chocolates. And Joe says, are those, are those milk chocolates? <laughs> And perfectly timed, razor sharp comic timing. They look at each other, swap their gifts, and they're like, cool, we're set. <laughs> very cute. Very cute. Very cute. I loved that. So Natalie is like, come on, guys, it's a, be open to new experiences. Why, these could be your perfect mates. And um, Joe says, if it's so great, this computer dating service, why didn't you let the computer find you a date? And Natalie says, well, I did. And at this point, even Tootie is like, wait, what? You did? Ding dong. Natalie opens the door and it's her date. And before she opens the door, she even said, it's like in the script, she was like, and just like I requested, he has perfect timing. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she opens the door and in comes the super crazy, hot, blonde, curly hair dude. Rex Winchester. Best name ever. This actor is my favorite thing in the episode. The actor is Christopher Durham. Durham, <laughs> I think. <laughs> when you're an actor and you have the word ham in your name, you got to be careful. He would go on after this appearance on The Facts of Life to be in 89 episodes of Ryan's Hope. Wow. 
that's because awesome. he is soap opera handsome. Yeah, he is really the quintessential 1980s hunk. And he still is working and looking at the pictures on his IMDb, he still looks great. And uh, as recently as 2014, still super handsome jawline of death. I hate him. But he comes in dressed stylishly. The boys uh, who were in there previously were like in standard 1980s ties and jackets. Well, he is dressed a little more 80s stylishy. <laughs> High-waisted pleated pants in a sort of mauve gray color. He has a patterned shirt that is sort of a pinkish, rosish, lavendery kind of a color. And he's wearing over that a red skinny 1980s tie red over a pink rose lavendery color that's that's a no that's a fail costume yeah, designer the episode of mix red with other colors that are inappropriate. yeah it's like did you have a bet going with somebody that you had to get red into every outfit <laughs> and then over that he has on a light gray double-breasted jacket that he never closes it's always open but it's a standard 80s cut shoulder pads all that but light gray again not a winter color even though everyone mostly is leaning toward winter tones and long sleeve things this looks like he's dressed for something a little more summer getting into the fall and yeah. ugh, so it's just it's terrible and um, I do have a note I put. This show is a costuming bloodbath. <laughs> but do you remember how he is how he introduces his catchphrase? Does he start with it works for you or it starts with it works for me? It's it's the room. So yeah, the first thing he says is that first of all, his delivery, his performance, he is in his own show, in his own world, and it is beautiful. <laughs> because he is just playing your standard pretty face, no brain, 1980s tool. Yeah. So he walks in and he says, wow, I really like this room. It works for me. And they're all like, oh, okay. And then Mrs. Garrett comes in. She gets a gander at him. And what does Mrs. Garrett say? Do you remember? No. <laughs> and from Mrs. Garrett, we get an, oh, my. <laughs> all slutty whores <laughs> all of them ogling these looking at these men like they're pieces of meat oh, bitty, bitty. hashtag mail me too <laughs> that's all starting right here 1984 ladies and gentlemen uh so he looks at mrs garrett as he's introduced to her and he says i really like that dress it works for you <laughs> Number one, it's not a dress. It's a blouse and a skirt with an ugly belt that doesn't match. Just throwing that out there. And in response to his compliment of her, we get another, oh my. So he turns to Natalie and says, I'm ready for our date. Should we take your Maserati? Yeah, I love that. And what is, how does she cover it? It's She's like, it's in the shop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he says, oh, we'll just take my Porsche. <laughs> and it cuts to Blair. And Blair earlier had said, he could not be. This guy you fixed me up with, this computer, he couldn't be my dream man. He's not even a blonde. 
Yeah. So now this gorgeous blonde hunk comes in and then he drops that he has a Porsche. We do yeah. get a cutaway of Blair just doing the Blair whimper, the. <laughs> <laughs> She's and, such an elitist. Yes, she is. And uh, so with this Maserati comment, it's like, oh, it's very clear, Natalie, you lied like a lying liar on your application to make sure you are matched up with this hot dude. Yeah. You you ethically devoid, bereft of scruples, horrible <laughs> human being. Natalie Green. Cheater. She had his answers. Yeah, but that's it. She's cheated. She doesn't get that cute cheater. guy. She cheated. Um, She's a cheater and a slutty whore. Yeah. <laughs> The slutty, like this is the slutty whore episode, according to Andrea Canny, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so we have a nice moment here where Blair is like, oh, well, we're not going. This is not happening. This this made up date, this whole charade. And Mrs. Garrett, she gets in the perfect quintessential Mrs. Garrett. Girls. Mrs. G. Oh, the start. You may free, feel free to join me if you are so inspired to speak in Mrs. G. Please join me. I always encourage everyone to do their Mrs. Garrett. So um, this is a great, great moment. I love this. This is my favorite little part of the show where all Mrs. Garrett has to say is girls. And then the dialogue is written where Joe says, I know, Mrs. Garrett, you don't have to say that the boys are innocent bystanders in this situation and blair says and you don't need to go into the fact that we could just suck it up and go with them i'm paraphrasing obviously um and so blair and joe walk through all the things they imagine mrs garrett would say to them to convince them they should go on this date and they talk themselves into it by saying you don't have to say it mrs garrett don't say it don't tell us the shit that we know you're gonna say we're going. And as they leave, she says, well, it's so nice to know you girls still listen to me. <laughs> and that's a beautiful growth moment where, oh, they now kind of know how to think the way their their mentor mm -hmm. uh, matriarch would think. So that was nice. So they I do like agree it. to go. That's sweet. So then we go to the restaurant where the girls are sitting. The two boys are there. Rex is away at the salad bar. We will learn soon. It's my favorite part. Oh my God. He is so <laughs> fucking funny. Favorite. Pretty dumb boy. Yeah. So it's a nice restaurant. It has a salad bar. You know, yeah. shitty restaurants don't have salad bars. The boys are in ties. Blair is in a blouse. Joe has a jacket. Natalie is still in her fucking beachwear. <laughs> what is happening? But we'll overlook that because as Natalie tries to get the conversation going, Blair and Joe are not having it. And then Rex comes back and he, I, I love talking in the Rex voice. So you're going to get his whole performance as interpreted by me. And I don't fucking care because I love it so much. He comes back and says, great place you pick, Nat. This is the third greatest salad bar in New York state. And they're like, you, you rate salad bars? And he's like, oh yeah, it's a whole system I have. Eat a lot of salad, then take your entree home in a doggy bag and have it for lunch tomorrow. It's a system that really works for me. 
I give him the fucking Emmy. He is so good. He coaches one of the guys, either Doug or Chip or whatever. Yeah. Saying about the salad, he was like, don't get too much lettuce because then you don't have enough room for the something and the garbanzo beans and the, all the other stuff. I was like, wow. Yeah. Somebody in that writing room, writer's room is obsessed with salad bars. And, and it works so beautifully. It's, it's one of the few shining moments to me that just, you know, this is, uh, this registers off the charts for me for comedically funny, for a good performance, for a funny character as a one-off. And, and after he coaches, it's Chip he's talking to about, you know, oh, here's what you do. Don't have too much lettuce, etc. And he says, it's my system. And Chip comes back with button for the gag. And I'll bet it works for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, writers. With this, you yes. have earned your salary for the week. With the rest of this shit, I would have fucking fired you. That's right. <sighs> license plates that are ZGR. Zinga. Zinga. <laughs> exactly. And, yes. Yeah. Again, and to be a one-off character, I wanted him back. I wanted Chad to appear in a later episode as this this dumb guy that just if you need a date, if you just need a tool or a warm body, mm -hmm. just the guy comes in and have he has a catchphrase that really works for me. Mm -hmm. I love it. I am on team hashtag team Rex. Yes. Yeah. T or, or just T-Rex for short. That's what there we're going to call that. So uh, I've belabored this point. I'm sorry. It made me so happy. Basically, Natalie says, girls, what can I do? You're being terrible. You're miserable. The boys are miserable. And they're like, get lost. We basically don't want to fucking look at you right now. And so she's like, okay, that's fine. So Natalie and Rex leave, and finally, without the pressure of Natalie trying to get the conversation going, the girls, Joe and Blair, start actually talking to Chip and Doug, and they discover they have some things in common, and they agree to go Dutch and say, let's not call this a date, let's just call this, we're friends, let's just, we're just going to get to know each other. And suddenly, the conversation, it's like, you know, the, the air is let out of this big tension balloon that's been building up. And you see already uh, the things start to soften and conversation starts to happen. And it's it's quite nice. Yeah. Then we cut back to the living room. <laughs> Charlotte Ray, we have said many times before, is at the she's at this critical point in her involvement with the show where she's starting to become extraneous as the girls get older and they can set things in motion and they can counsel themselves as we saw Blair and Joe do earlier. You can tell the show is often like, what do we do with Mrs. Garrett? We've got all this stuff for the girls to do. What do we do with Mrs. Garrett? Well, why don't we have her playing a bridge game by herself? talking to people who are not there and getting up and moving around the table and sitting at different stations and playing different hands. Nothing crazy about that. No, nothing at all. Nothing to show a grounded, wise character is also batshit fucking crazy. <laughs> and, and I mean, she does what she can with it. She can. It's just such a silly sitcom thing of 
that. But but even the talking to the partners, it'd be one thing if she was just playing the game to keep her skills sharp. I could have maybe signed off on that. But it was like she's actually talking as though she's actively, emotionally participating in this non-existent game. And thankfully, we do have Tootie standing in the background looking at her like, what the fuck? <laughs> It pans across and uh, we don't realize that Natalie and Rex are here. They've come back to the house and they're just sitting on the couch. The body language of Natalie is clearly she is over it. She's like, okay, this guy's a pretty face, but I'm not having a good time. And he's trying to find more things they have in common. And he says, I can't have the same meal two times in a row. Like if you have turkey for lunch, then I, I just can't have it for dinner. Yeah, and like, kind of like, how do you feel about that? And she's kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he's like, I knew it. Like, oh my God, we're so connecting. And he's so dim that he doesn't see that they are not connecting. She is so not into you. Natalie walks over to Mrs. Garrett and in typical sitcom fashion, uh, I always, uh, um, Rob, Rob Lott said this last week. I've, I've alluded to this, but Rob hit it on the head. He said, if it's out of the frame, they can't hear it. So she walks over to Mrs. Garrett, who is sitting at the table still. He is still, Rex is still at the couch. And Natalie says like, well, this was a big failure. I thought that uh, I was so sure that I was going to be able to write this paper about romance being guaranteed when you eliminate the human factor. So basically she's saying within full earshot of Rex, I'm not having a good time and this was a failure. Yeah. And. <laughs> you wanted to hear but, it. I mean, but he's he's probably, you know, doing something dumb. Yeah. Where it's... he probably can't hear. <laughs> you wanted him to in the side, you just want to hear his voice go, that doesn't work for me. For me. <laughs> <laughs> slam, door slam. That would have been amazing. Um, <laughs> so then Blair and Joe come in and Natalie, having now finally seen the error of her ways only because it didn't work out the way she wanted it to i will add it work out for her yeah well that i mean selfish slutty whore selfish <laughs> devoid of selfish slutty whore devoid of what we did. <laughs> uh, um, uh yeah devoid of ethics yes. uh, morally bereft i think was one of yes. the <laughs> But um, yeah, we've Natalie has always been the character of questionable ethics. This has come up before. This is sadly and unfortunately on brand for her <laughs> in that I really believe the Natalie Green that I have known these last five plus years that it's if it had gone well for Blair and Joe, she would have said, see, I was right. And there was nothing wrong with what I did by falsifying that information uh on their uh, computer dating forms there was nothing wrong with what i did in cheating because i got this rex guy she'd have probably been totally fine with it she would have never had her aha moment of what a horrible person she's been <laughs> so thankfully with this knowledge this new self-understanding blair and joe come in and before they even say word one natalie apologizes and does say to them, it was terrible, what I did, yada, yada. And Blair and Joe say, actually, we had a good time. And Natalie's my like, favorite, wait, what? My favorite was Blair. Like, you know, well, like if, if I ever wanted to go to an art museum, I'd call up Chip and- Yeah. <laughs> that's what she equated it to. Was, yeah. And- was a friend to see museum stuff with. 
<laughs> um, so then Natalie tries to twist this around and I listened to this twice and I just said, I'm, I can't, I'm done. Natalie starts trying to say, so wait a minute, if you like him as a friend and friendship is the foundation of a possible love relationship, she, she starts talking in circular ways to justify that maybe this experiment wasn't a total failure. And her, her cap to it is, hey, I may get a B on this paper after all. And I, I didn't see the logistical leap that she made and at this point i i just couldn't again it's all about her yes selfish slutty. very selfish selfish slutty selfish whore slutty natalie whore. <laughs> 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 so then we get the comedic end we've got to end this episode on a funny bang and that's <laughs> where we turn to mrs garrett and have her say natalie do you think this computer dating service could work out you think you could help me with it i think it could be the answer for me and natalie jumps in with oh my god yes i will totally mrs garrett help you find the love of your life and mrs garrett responds with natalie all i want is a bridge partner ha <laughs> <laughs> oh mrs garrett Oh my gosh. I did remember the one thing I remember was that she was saying to Tootie of like, oh, I think it was after the Omar Sharif thing where she didn't know who it was. She was like, you are too young. Yeah. To play bridge. Yeah. And there was a joke where Tootie, when when she was like, what are you betting or something? And Tootie throws down her handful of cards and says, full house. Like, <laughs> which, which is poker for those who don't know. That's not bridge. And, and also um, the name of another popular show at that time. Yeah, true, very true. And the weird thing is, crap, I can't remember. I have to look it up and I'll I'll um I'll add it in the bumper. Tootie and Natalie were playing a card game on their vacation that we saw in season six, episode one. And Matthew pointed out, Matthew Arter said it was it was like an old person game. Like it was it was either gin or bridge. It might have been bridge. I have to look it up, but this could be this could be an inconsistency. Uh-oh. And we know there are no inconsistencies in the Facts of Life cinematic universe. No. No, no cuz yeah. I mean we always played gin rummy as kids. I mean I, I was not big on cards cuz I, I I'm just not good at it, but Yeah. I we was We played gin rummy, but not gin. Yeah, we did crazy eights. We liked that a lot and we would do go fish and Well, we are at the end of the episode. And Andrea, usually at the end of the episode, I like to bump up the nostalgia factor and ask my guest, off the top of your head, completely random, can you think of a commercial from your childhood or your youth that sticks out in your brain, that tickles your memory? Is there anything when I say a commercial? As a very young child, I called the Pillsbury Doughboy my boyfriend. <laughs> I did. And every time the commercial came on, I'd be like, Mom, Mom, it's my boyfriend. It's my boyfriend. I was in love with him. I don't know why. Oh, I just, he brought me joy. Is he still, the Pillsbury Doughboy, is he still around? They still use that, don't they? I think he's still a thing. Yeah. I think he does. There's the one that, I don't know if you remember this one, because I don't, I, even though I was born and raised in Cincinnati for five years, we lived in New York State, um, about oh. an hour outside of the city in Rockland County. Shut up, God. 
<laughs> um, stand down, Mayor. Stand down. <laughs> he has his own Instagram. Does he really? Yeah, the mayor of Plant Street. Mayor of Plant Street. That is so cute. I love it when I can get pictures of him yawning because it, it's just equates him screaming to me. <laughs> so I can come up with various phrases. Infraction! <laughs> So the the one commercial that we always thought was hilarious and we still quote it is, is that it was for a board game and I can't remember if it was called Survivor or whatever, but it was like, your turn, move a lever. I'm the sole survivor. Like, okay. Like, like in Boston or something like they were like on the shore and this, the game was like coming up in the surf, you know, up onto the beach and they're like, what's that? And then they start playing the game. Your turn, move a lever. I'm the sole survivor. Stay alive. Oh, yeah, stay here alive. We go. I win. I'm the sole survivor. Stay alive. Oh, my God. I don't know why we always recall it as being kids with a Boston accent, but it's not true. He's a, well, it's a little Midwestern survivor, a little mid-Atlantic, rather. But <laughs> I I remember that you showed me. Uh, Andy just pulled that up on YouTube and held it up to her screen. I will post it on the the website for the show. I have not thought of that commercial since the last time I saw it on TV forty something years ago. That is yeah. crazy, and that has stuck in our vernacular to this day. Uh huh. That yeah, is crazy. It's like. <laughs> it's like you know you drop something you go butterfingers operate yeah your chocolate got in my peanut butter your peanut butter got in my chocolate yeah <laughs> two great tastes that taste great together andrea i've had so much fun just gabbing with you and getting to see your face again i'm so happy you were able to do the show thank you i i could not have thought of a better way to spend today Oh. It was so much fun. Thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you. Smooches, my dear, and goodbye. Loved you. Goodbye. Mwah. <laughs> and there you have it. That was Andrea Canny. So one little follow-up. Uh, I mentioned it in the show about Mrs. Garrett trying to get Tootie to play bridge, and I couldn't remember what they were playing in Season 6, Episode 1, when Natalie and Tootie were being harassed by Chunk from the Goonies. They were playing gin. So uh, we have kids playing gin and Mrs. Garrett trying to get her to be her bridge partner. Again, middle-aged vaudevillian writers. <sighs> let's, let's update this. Update this to the 20th century. Why don't we? Huh? Just as follow-up, I am going to post uh, a link to Gus Gus's Instagram. His hashtag is the mayor of Plant Street. And I also will post a link to the Facebook page for the Billy Flanagan documentary that is coming up. And uh, her podcast that I mentioned earlier is going to be launching soon. I will post links as soon as they are available on the webpage for this show and in the show notes. Now, next week, my guest is going to be dancer, singer, actor, choreographer, director, producer, DJ Salisbury. He and I are going to be watching Season 6, Episode 4, My Boyfriend's Back. 
You can watch the show for free at dailymotion.com. I will post a link in the show notes and on this show's webpage. And a little last-minute addendum I'm recording on my phone here. It looks like as of December 1st, the Roku channel now only carries seasons 7, 8, and 9. So at this point, as we make our way through season 6, dailymotion.com looks like it's back to being our only option. Hopefully these will still be around by the time we get to season 7. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>